Coming at you live from the vindictive imagination of a monochrome grade schooler, it's Cartoon Night in Canada. Hey, what you watching? Got a problem with cartoon? Welcome, dear listener, to Cartoon Night in Canada, a nostalgic journey to dig through decades of Canadian animation to find the good, the bad, and the just plain weird. I am your co-host, Chris Lucy Antonio. And I am your other co-host, Sylvie Kettles. And can you believe we're actually here doing this? God, no. It's it's definitely one of those things that, uh, like, the moment you brought it up, I was like, yes, yes, I'm on board, I'm here for it. And then actually sitting down to make it happen was like, we're not really going to do this, are we? Oh, well, the the thing is is uh for, for the for the listener who's concerned, uh both me and Sylvie have a degree of pedigree when it comes to Canadian animation. We're big fans and we have sustained many conversations just kind of bullshitting about them to the absolute confusion of everyone in our media vicinity. Yeah, like even even other people who are Canadian and grew up watching this stuff they were still kind of like they had the Disney Channel or they they were SpongeBob kids or they were the super weirdos who watched like those live action sitcoms for children. Ugh. And they'd be like, I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. Yeah. And so we kind of realized there's a treasure trove of nostalgic memories to unlock and bring into the light for them to shrink and die out of embarrassment. So we've decided to take to, to be the key masters to your the recesses of your nostalgia and release them to the world and make you all confused once again on what exactly what what media you consumed as a child and what possible damage it did to you in your adult years spoilers it's a lot probably a lot because there was a lot of there's a lot of like gaslighting going on too of like no that that wasn't a show that existed that's that's not possible there's a lot of that going around because as we were planning out this series on what we wanted to cover there was a couple of times like oh fuck yeah i completely blocked that thing out that i watched all 65 episodes of and part part of i guess part of the series is going to be therapy for both of us to really kind of interrogate our memories and realize like wow we had some either terrible taste as kids or wow we were ahead of the curve and realized this is a gem that you all completely slept on because it was either canadian or ugly or, or both. both. Oftentimes both. Most, uh, further spoilers, most Canadian cartoons are utterly hideous, and that's kind of what I love about them. It's their charm. It is absolutely their charm. Their aesthetic unpleasantness. Like, I I give Canadian animation a pass on aesthetic hideousness that I refuse to give shows like, like Big Mouth. <laughs> where it's like, no, you you literally cannot pay me enough money to watch Big Mouth. It is hideous. Have you seen it? And then in the same breath, I'll look at something like Jacob Tutu and just be like, baby, my child, my sweet, beautiful angel. And like the perfection. Yeah. And that's the thing. Not to get all like um, Cal Arts has ruined the 
animation industry because I am not one of those chuds. But the the idea that uh, Canadian animation is ugly, or at least Can- Canadian television a- animation is ugly and unpleasant, like at least it's interesting. Like when it when it really tries to go out of its way to, in its design to be striking and different and against the curve of what the industry is doing, it does so in really interesting ways that we'll get into with each kind of series that we cover on here. But nowadays when there are like three to five different uh, specific designs that every show is cribbing from, because that is what's selling and that's just the way the industry works, I would kill Mm -hmm. for something ugly again. Like ugly in a way that's not big mouth, but just so baffling to the eyes and to the to the mind that it sticks in there even if you don't really like it yeah because there's there's a difference between like something like big mouth is intentionally ugly like the creators have even gone on the record saying yeah we wanted it to look the way that like people kids going through puberty view themselves and it's like no it's just hideous and then there's something like I don't know, even something like sticking around has like it's it was not intentionally ugly. It's it's design, it's charming. I don't know if I have the words to explain it, but it's just like it just it's kind of the same reason why um like people enjoy the room, but not Sharknado as much, where it's like you've got something that's made from a place of sincerity and then and so people kind of latch onto that and enjoy it. And then there's something that's made intentionally trying to be bad, thinking that that'll make people laugh at it and, and have a good time with it. And it just doesn't work like that. Yeah, there's a difference between trying and failing and never trying to begin with or tr- or trying to emulate the kind of ethos of failure. Uh, I, yeah. Not to get on a tangent, but like the the, the room was like absolutely something special. Uh and Sharknado was, I, like, I never liked that whole series. And the, the way that it was hyped up just really poisoned the whole idea because it, there was nothing special about it other than the idea. And it's not a Sharknado podcast. I mean, yeah, I'll save that for later. No, save that for never. We're never going to talk about Sharknado on this feed. <laughs> I, and if that ever happens, like, that, that, well, that, like that's the sign to the listener that we are, like, being held hostage. And that's our, that's our way of communicating or, to them to get help. Or that we've uh, we've jumped the shark, NATO. So so you just want to like just tell me don't, right away that this whole thing was a mistake for to bring you on for this endeavor. <laughs> don't, don't stop the recording, please. <laughs> uh, all right, should we get into it? My name is Angela. Hey, hello. Welcome to my very own show. I'll introduce my friends to you. Oh no, it's Nitty Poo. We picked a real banger of an opener, huh? Her name is Angela. Hey, hello. Welcome to her very own show. Uh, for the premiere episode... She'll introduce her friends to you. No. We're, I'm, oh, no, it's Ninny Poo. I'm not going to go further into the theme song. Uh, so for the premiere episode of Cartoon Night in Canada, we decided to really, really capture what we were thinking of when we wanted to like unlock those nostalgic memories that you kind of forgot you had. And we chose the 1999 series Angela Anaconda, which was created by Joanna Forone and Sue Rose, and the production companies were Core Digital Pictures and Decode Entertainment. This technically is not fully Canadian. It's a co-production with the United States. But 
as we like to say here on Cartoon Night in Canada, uh, it's technically Canadian, which is the best kind of Canadian. It's, that's the most Canadian thing a thing can be, is technically. Yes. Uh, so let's just start at the top here, Sylvia. Um, what is your memories of this show? Do you have any things that have been like pushed away in the dark recesses of your mind? Nothing, nothing specific. I definitely remembered the opening sequence, like that it was her at the piano. Um, it, it wasn't a show that I watched often. It was, it, it definitely wasn't one that I ever sought out. It was sort of one of those shows that, you know, you, you sit down, you're at the TV and it's just like, oh, this is on. And then you just don't switch the channel. <laughs> so it was a very passive uh, way of absorbing media. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat because like I was never the core demographic for this show and it was always the thing that was on that was between the shows that I wanted to watch. So same kind of case where like I just let it wash over me. I don't think there is a core demographic for this show. Like who is the target audience here? I mean, the late 90s were a weird time. So I'm sure this was popular with somebody, but... <sighs> It's really hard to describe without getting into the specifics of the show. So the the, the very idea behind Angela Anaconda, because it's kind of an unremarkable premise, is she is a tomboyish grade schooler with a very active imagination. And she lives in Tapwater Springs with her small uh, group of best friends, and they go on adventures, quote unquote adventures. And that's yeah, I was gonna say that's you're you're being very generous with uh with the word adventures. Yeah, that's the long and short of it. Yeah. Uh, well, Angela has, like... Th- there. We didn't pick episodes that dig into, like, her family life very much. Um, but she has, like, that classic uh, 90s family where she's got... She's the youngest. No, she's not the youngest. She's got a baby sister. Uh, she's got two older brothers and a baby sister. And her older brothers are definitely, like, in high school. Mm-hmm. And they're just absolute chodes. Yep. Everyone in this show is an absolute chode, uh, except for Gina Lash. I don't know. I mean, I think everyone has a mean streak in them in this series. Uh, so actually, uh, we should mention the format of the show is to kind of, we because we don't want to do like a whole episode by episode breakdown of this series, because that would, that would send us straight to the insane asylum, probably. Uh, what we wanted to do was pick a couple of representative episodes, watch our own time, and try and jog the memories of what the series was uh, if like if there are any memories at all to jog and so that's kind of what we're going to be doing with each series that we cover uh maybe later on uh we'll revisit a couple of series and do like a more in-depth breakdown of certain episodes but for now it's just like we're trying to really paint a picture of what angela anaconda is for you from what we remember and what our nostalgia coded glasses can make sense of yeah like this is very much like what it would be like to just sit down and just have an episode pop on randomly like you're not watching it from beginning to end you're you're just seeing a random episode in the in the rerun bucket (laughs) yeah exactly so i i think uh we have to address the elephant in the room which is why does this series look like that what, what, oh, yeah. What, why does it look like that? Why, why do it look like that, Christopher? Well, 
in an effort, in a deliberate effort to stand out from the product of the time of the late 90s into the early 2000s, uh, Angela Anaconda is a very distinct looking show. And that's because using a program called Elastic Reality, which you can't use anymore, that's a software that doesn't exist. Uh, it's what the creators call 2.5D stop motion animation. So it's designed and boarded like a 2D show, but it's animated in three dimensions using cutout style. And by cutout style, I mean they literally took actors and models' faces, took black and white photos, and pasted them onto rigid, angular bodies and manipulated them in 3D space. So I think, honestly, black and white was probably a really smart move. Like, it was definitely a move made out of, uh, like, a decision made out of necessity, because that way you can have, you can use the same photos and the same facial expressions to, uh, in, like, different sorts of lighting, so that you never need to worry about what's going to happen in a particular scene. Like, it was a really clever choice. It just looks really weird in comparison. It it looks terrifying, because... You get, watching one of these episodes, you get, like, several kind of epiphanies, like, horrifying epiphanies where you realize, like, I am looking at a human face. Yeah. Like, like and, this is a real little girl. Like, like, this is a person whose face is contorting in very unnatural, rigid kind of stop-motion ways. And it's, this is why the, the show is kind of infamous or uh, beyond its original run. It's because once you see this thing, you never forget it. And it becomes this fodder where you show it to someone and they go like, oh, that fucking thing. Oh, because it's like, you, you look at it and it's just, ah, uh, just weird. Who, who are these ransom notes of faces? I, like, to be fair, to be absolutely fair, it's extremely in innovative for the time. This is a, this is a stop motion endeavor when that wasn't really viable for, uh, for television animation uh well it was because like the pjs was airing at this time and there's a lot of leeway but this was like probably the cheapest way because they're uh using the elastic reality software it cut a lot of corners and made it easy because they just pulled poses from a database and it was severely limited like the expressiveness in the animation but made it super easy to board and shoot and produce yeah you're not you're not adding a, new, a whole lot of new assets for every episode like it's largely just pulling from your data from your bank uh, what's that um what the show remind me of like what's that uh comic making uh website like where, where like you just have like these uh you pull from a thing of props and objects and you make like these comics uh it was like really popular like i want to say in 2012 where you would just like not bit life because that's the that's a, the game um i i i would have to look that up later and maybe add a note in but that, yeah. that's what it feels like is that you're just pulling things and posing and it's all it's it's all animating after the fact and because of that it's all very angular and rigid it's very stiff and strange jilted sometimes really hyperactive because the the models can't move that fast or express that much but Beyond that, it's it, it's really interesting to look at, but my god, is it terrifying. It kind of feels like South Park. I would not disagree at all, because I think they both <laughs> use the same, like, they, they use the, both yeah, the same, same kind of boarding. 
yeah, it's really similar. Like, here are our, you know, 1,200 assets. We want to make this episode look, or we want to make XYZ happen. Here are the assets we have to pull from that. Oh, we're going to need, like, a, a single asset of Angela's dad all tatted up. Here, we we can design that real quick and slap that on. Boom, we made a whole episode in one week. Yeah, and... And even beyond that, it does the same thing that South Park did, especially on like the its first kind of like six seasons, wherein they would sometimes just use like photos of real things and put them into the show. Like uh, part of the part of the series is they uh, the four main characters of Angela, Gina, Gordy, and Johnny. They hang out at a pizza place and they just have photos of pizza, like yeah, uh, and they're just like taking these little triangle cuts of actual pizza and eating it. Yeah, and then they just like digitally cut out like a, a vague bite shape out of it yeah and that's a if way even that and and that's a way to like really cut cost and make the whole thing smoother but it's like man that's it's so jarring and especially when mm-hmm. every single character has that monochrome black and white face and the world is very kind of like vibrant and bright and colorful it's like there's this immediate contrast whenever you see a character in these spaces and it's just like I, you, you you feel like you are having an out-of-body experience watching these episodes. Truly. Uh, so should we get into uh, the the episodes that we picked? Sure, sure. Uh, so uh, the way this show worked is that like uh, every episode is broken into two mini-sodes, a la, a la your, like, your Spongebob's, your Dexter's Laboratory, what have you. Uh, so do you have the episode names? I don't believe I wrote those down. I chose the... Uh... Episode 54, uh, Jimmy Jamal, Super Beetle, and I'm with Stupid, which uh, both aired... Oh my god, I didn't even see the air dates when I picked these. Uh, These aired September 24th, 2001, so these are the post-9-11 Angela episodes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, we should have... What a fucking sentence. We should have done the the ones from the week before, because those were the September 17th ones. Oh, I chose what? poorly. Oh, uh, the, the the nation was reeling, and yeah. Angela Anaconda was there to really put the pieces back together. My God. <laughs> um, and you chose. Uh, I ch- for- yeah, I chose a uh, view to a Brinks and injury to insult from season one. Both uh, aired October twenty eighth, nineteen ninety nine. Um. So can I just say, uh, you picked probably almost. A good episode. View to a Brinks felt like a surreal episode of Phineas and Ferb <laughs> until the very end. Like, I was having a genuinely good time until the tail end when it was like, oh, also, by the way, childhood sex tra- sex trauma is happening in this universe. I I had no idea what was going on. So the, the premise <laughs> of the episode is that the four main characters are doing everything in their power to see their teacher play badminton naked. Let that sit for a second. Honestly, this is the premise. I love that premise. Can I just say that premise feels right? I mean, if we're if we're talking about like, man, Canadian animation is weird. We took we picked a banger here because, like, the. the the whole premise is that like they they realize that their teacher is a nudist at home and they are so just effing stoked about it. Like cuz the episode opens with uh 
my favorite character, Gina, absolutely booking it to the diner because she she saw Mr. Brinks uh, buying a badminton set at the uh, at the local sports store, I guess, and she just books it to where her friends are and desperate because she desperately needs to tell them they're going to play badminton in their backyard. You know what that means? You know what that means, guys? They're going to be naked and everyone just knows what that means. Like they have it's it's just like they have talked about this before. And it just comes right out of nowhere because we, the audience, have not been told at any point in time before that the Brinkses are probably nudists. It just happens. All of the kids just know that this is a thing. And, like, all bets are off. They are in go mode. It's super serious. And I love that energy. I mean, this entire episode is four kids trying to commit a sex crime. Yes. And then successfully committing a sex crime. Like th- this is this is what was aired to your children in 1999. Uh, these four kids realizing like our teacher's nude. Let's invade her privacy. No, no, guys, yeah. no, seriously. Like she, like we can just do that. Yeah. Like we are gonna build a treehouse and we're gonna build it real high so that we can see our teacher naked. What the what the fuck? And then we can force. And then we can force this girl that we hate to also see people naked. Uh, so I, I, I guess we can uh, go into that a bit. Um, Angela Anaconda as a character, she is extremely vengeful and mean-spirited and possibly dangerous. Uh, Angela Anaconda will be a school shooter. Yes, when, when she gets to high school, like she will harbor this vindictive energy she has yeah. and put it into something destructive. Yeah, and, like, granted, Nanette Manoir sucks, and, like, her family sucks, like, they're just these nasty, rich people who couldn't give a shit about literally anyone else in the world, who, like, they throw their money and status around because they think that'll make all of their problems go away. They are absolutely bribing Mrs. Brinks. Somehow, I don't know how, but, like, Brinks clearly has a favorite, and it's Nanette, because she's rich. And, but, like, I we, we were talking about this earlier. Yeah, you were saying that, like, Nanette probably wouldn't know that Angela even exists if Angela wasn't so vindictive. Yeah, like, the whole thing that with Angela is that she has these, every single episode has an extended revenge fantasy that she imagines in her mind. I mean, this was just a trope of, of like, kids' animation from, like, the 80s and 90s that, like, it all centered on a precocious, extremely imaginative, character who would kind of distort the world around to fit her worldview in this case the worldview is really just like devilish because every single episode she has an extended revenge fantasy as i said wherein she just lords over her nemesis which is probably one-sided uh and it's from like viewing it from the place of hindsight it's like wow like that's that's not okay (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's it's just, the, the whole show has this really mean-spirited air to it, where, like, there is no joke that isn't at somebody's expense. No. Like, a- every joke, every joke involving Gina Lash is that she's fat, every joke around Gordy is that he's a dweebus, and, like, everything involving Nanette and Angela is just them being cruel and awful to each other. Uh, Angela's brothers are all just cruel and awful to each other. 
and to Angela and like everything's just mean. Yeah, and I guess that's where the comedy comes from, I guess. But at the same time, you're, you're just watching this and realize, like, yeah, for for as much as people complain, the wrong people complain about today about like uh, kid shows being too nice and promoting like emotional intelligence. It's like uh, the alternative is just that they're harboring these really elaborate revenge revenge fantasies against each other. And I don't know, I I prefer the the, the former to what this was. Yeah, because like. You can have comedy without someone's life being absolutely ruined and just but not not in the world of Angela Anaconda. Not at all. Like like even um the opening sequence really drives home a lot of Angela's character. Like in how in so how much this like her one-sided rivalry with Nanette is all consuming of her being because the line goes like, "Oh, I'm going to introduce my friends to you." Oh no, here comes Ninny Poo. Like, here she... comes that goddamn mother. Here comes that bitch. That's what it's like. Yeah, like, and then the rest of the opening is about how much this show isn't about Nanette. Like, it's her going, like, oh yeah, by the way, this show's about me. It's not about Nanette. She's a jerk. This is a extremely, like, I guess, petty uh, show in terms of, like, what, what Angela views the world from. Yeah. But I. I... Have you ever seen that uh, that madman meme where it's like one character is like, I feel bad for you, Don Draper. And then Don Draper's like, I don't think about you at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's that's the relationship between Angela and uh, her nemesis. It's just like, I like, like I you you are like the worst person in the world. And it's like, huh? Hmm? Uh, yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Yeah. Like Nanette. I think Nanette knows that she's an awful person and doesn't really give a shit. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know that's respectable. Yeah. So the the other episode in this uh this the other like mini sode in this uh, episode from uh that was paired with View to a Brinks is injury to insult, wherein Angela and Nanette like play kind of an oppression Olympics with each other. <laughs> yeah. So both both revel in their classmates' uh, pity for them for being injured and try and outdo one another, and it eventually leads to. Uh, one Nanette faking her an injury and Angela trying to expose it. Again, this is this is the premise for a kid show. I mean, that feels like I've definitely seen a similar ep- like structure to an episode, like someone pretending to be injured and the main character desperately trying to uh, tell everyone, like, no, they're they're a faker, and then being gaslit by absolutely everyone else, saying like, oh, how could you say something to this poor injured soul? Yeah, again, ex- extremely mean spirited. <laughs> like, I don't have much to say about this one because it's just like, it. It's every episode kind of has the same exact format where a problem is introduced, uh, and is exasperated by uh, Angela and her obsession with her enemy Nanette, yeah. and leads to a revenge fantasy, which eventually gets overturned, and everything is fine again. Yeah, like oh, it, the episode ends with uh, oh, Nanette's faking has been revealed but oh whoop everyone says that oh it's just a miracle cure and then uh angela's pink eye also clears up so we're back to the status quo everyone is normal and fine at the end it's it's an episode it's definitely not as good as view to a brinks yeah so uh I I picked, like, a semi-good episode. Uh, What was your choice? Well, I was torn between two episodes that were uh, one right after the other. I should have picked the one that aired right after 9-11, but I ended up going with 
uh, Jimmy Jamal Super Beetle, uh, which is where this other character, uh, this classmate Jimmy Jamal, gets an obsession with Super Beetle. So uh, a, co- a comic book character, and he starts to say that he is Super Beetle, and he just runs around the school clicking at everyone. But so Jimmy Jamal's obsession with this character... Um, I think this is a, definitely an episode that hammers in how fucking mean Angela is just all the time, always, to everyone, and how, like, everyone's world has to revolve around her, because her classmate is doing something that's, like, mildly annoying, but not really impacting her life all that much, and she's like, no, you need to fucking stop. Hey, Johnny, you need to make sure this stops. It's bothersome to me. Yeah, she's a she's extremely controlling little girl, which is par for the course for uh, little girls, I guess. But at the same time, it's like, man, like instead of like because Jimmy Jamal here, it's like this is possibly a psychotic episode. Like he's having a he's having a schizophrenic (laughs) issue here where he thinks he's someone else. And Angela's idea is like, stop. Yeah, stop that. Stop it. That's that's annoying me. I don't know if I'd go so far. Like they are, how old are they even? I'm not a good. I'm not a good judge of faces. This feels like just he's kind of just doing a thing that kids do. Like he has a new fixation. His new. This is his current obsession. He's gonna pretend to be a superhero for a few weeks, and then he'll probably find something new to latch onto. Yeah, the 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 episodes we picked really kind of showcase the the standard coming-of-age events that you go through, uh, voyeurism, uh, pretending to be a superhero, pretending to be injured, uh, having a cow puppet. Yeah, uh, no, the cow puppet, absolutely, there's something fucking supernatural going on where, like, that cow is possessed and is, like, some- has some sort of manipulative effect on people around it so that it makes them love the puppet more than an actual human. Like, well, when the actual human's Angela, it's like, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, valid. But when it's her dad, like the fact that it is canonical, Angela's mother only agreed to marry her father because Mr. Mooey asked. Oh, his 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 wife wants to like fuck that puppet. She wants to fuck that puppet. Like there is a there was a discussion on the on the wedding night where it's like the, the puppet stays in the bed. Yeah. The, the cow puppet stays on the hand during sex. She absolutely calls out Mr. Mooey during sex regularly. And, oh, God. Man, imagine imagine getting cucked by a ventriloquist dummy. <laughs> he doesn't need to imagine. It's happening. It, like, that's his life. and That's his life. And that's why he keeps it in a briefcase in the garage. I don't know why he doesn't, like, burn it or send it over a cliff. He definitely tried to, and it would not burn like all possessed things. I like I like this headcanon. I really like this headcanon. So I will explain that uh, Mr. Mui is from the second half of this episode, uh, I'm With Stupid. To liven up her show-and-tell reports, Angela brings in Mr. Mui, a cow puppet. Uh, it's like a ventriloquist dummy that's a cow, and it makes cow puns and is generally just a bitch to everyone. You know, like everyone in this show. Yep. And then everyone loves the cow puppet more than Angela. And like, if she doesn't bring it, they're like, "We're busy. Angela can't can't hang out." 
which is honestly i feel like her friends were just looking for an excuse to do this yeah i i can totally understand that like, just absolutely cut her out of their lives well like the the best thing about that episode is like the way that she solves it is that angela just like kind of speaks her true mind to all her friends and insults them using using the cow puppet as a conduit and that yeah tricks her idiot friends into thinking like wow this cow puppet's mean not the person controlling it and making it say those things the cow puppet this isn't i think the 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 show takes place in tap water springs we have to ask what is in that tap water nothing good can be in that tap water good god uh okay um but i do i do need to point out the reason why i love gina lash so much is because she's a comrade Oh, I, I missed this communist subtext in Angela Anaconda. Oh my god. Okay, so this is this is definitely because I watched I watched more episodes um because I hate myself. Fair. Um so in like one of the really early episodes, I want to say it was episode 1 or 2, um she refers to someone crossing a, a picket line as a scab. <laughs> <laughs> and this is like Gina is the only one whose precociousness cracks me up because she's always saying like these blatant uh anti-capitalist things just as if like it's just the most normal thing in the world and then i also watched the episode prior to the one that i ended up picking uh k9 to 5 um you know parody of our uh communist manifesto creating dolly parton um she basically points out to Angela the problems with capitalism and how like running a business as a greedy CEO is evil. I yeah, that's that's rad. And it's great. I love her and she deserves a better show. <laughs> like now, now you have me convinced if, if I pick like a random episode, I I just like stumble onto Gina doing like a entire like a cab rant. God, I just hope out of so. nowhere, completely unprompted. Yeah, just absolutely no one, literally no one. Uh, Gina Lash, all cops are bastards. That, that that's that's baller. Hell yeah! Uh, thank you, Comrade Lash. <laughs> yeah, so she deserves she deserves a much better show than the one she got. Yeah, so uh, th- those are the episodes, and I I, I don't know did they, did they unlock any kind of fondness for the show for you? Because personally, like I was like, it, it didn't do much uh, revisiting this because after like after so many years of this laying dormant in my memories, it's just like yeah, outside of the initial shock of the aesthetics, it was like this is just a this is a really mean spirited, but like bursting the personality kind of kid show. Yeah, like, I I definitely wasn't... I, I tried to... I try to enjoy everything that I sit down and watch. Uh, like, I, I try to go in and be like, okay, I'm going to engage with this show at its level, like, see where it's, where it's coming from and what it wants me to get out of it. I was mostly just bored. And then every once in a while, something awful would happen, and I'd go, really?! Yeah, well, I I cling to those really kind of weird and strange moments from the from the episodes we watch, but otherwise it's like, yeah, this is just standard kids fare. I mean, yeah. I I wouldn't have problem like showing it to like a child of my own, but I'd have to prepare them like a lot because like, hey, what you're gonna look at 
is going to leave an impression that you'll probably have to deal with later in life. I'm sorry, but this is what this is what kids entertainment was for me. And as any responsible parent, like you have to like the things I like. Yeah. So actually, uh, a fun little word on the creator creators, uh, Sue Rose and uh, Joanna Farone. Uh, Sue Rose is kind of has a solid reputation. She does. Not only was not, not only was this her creation uh, with Joanna Farone, she also did the Disney show Pepper Ann and the Nickelodeon show on Fabulous. So she's got a hell of a pedigree and probably never needs to work again. Yeah, Angela Anaconda was definitely not what she's most famous for. It's, I, I don't know even if I would call her infamous for it. It's just a tiny rung on the on the ladder that is her career. But it seems like the most personal. It's, it seems like, like a passion project, especially because uh, according like uh, the p- person she worked with, Joanna Farone, uh, it was heavily autobiographical for her. Like she was the vindictive monochrome grade schooler. That is concerning. Yes. Uh, and also they created a character called Fido Dido. Did you look into this at all? No. So they created a cartoon character called Fido Dido and... By creating a cartoon character, I mean, all they did was make a character. And the, the character is like a, a teenager with a baggy shirt and uh, long stringy hair. And it became extremely popular by put, being stenciled on the t-shirts. And, I was going to uh, say, I have seen this child. Be, being put on like advertisements. Like this was a time when companies like Pepsi and 7-Up, uh, like, well, PepsiCo, uh, they would just say like, hey, can we use that character for our advertisements? <laughs> and that was just a thing that happened. And he was also, like, despite the fact he doesn't have a fucking media of his own or like a show or a cartoon, like he was on bumpers for CBS. He, he, he's been on murals around the world. He's got a video game. I've definitely seen this picture of him with sunglasses on. I think I definitely had a classmate in elementary school with this t-shirt. And it's isn't that like the, the, I was reading this and like this is just a different time because this was a this was a specific era where you could just create a character without doing any kind of housing of that character, couching it in anything, and that would just take off and become famous. Well, I guess he's technically housed by Seven Up. Yeah, it's so fucking weird. Like this is an international character that they just made up apparently draw, drawn on a napkin and made millions of dollars off of it. That is amazing. God, how do, how, how do you do that? How does that happen? Uh, I, I don't think it happens anymore. Oh, like n- now all of like the, like this is essentially an OC. Yeah. <laughs> jo- Joanna Verone and as, as uh, Sue Rose, they created an OC, which rather than uh, just, getting a couple upvotes on DeviantArt, uh, took the world by storm. This is my OC, Fido Dido. Do not steal. Oh, except, except for you, PepsiCo. Yeah. You can steal. You, you can steal. Well, they paid, I assume. <laughs> oh. I don't know. It's PepsiCo. They might not have paid. Yeah, you, you can never tell when you're dealing with big soda. Uh, so one more thing that we would be ashamed, we would be remiss if we did not mention. Uh, there is a link between this small uh, Canadian stop-motion cartoon and Digimon. 
and I didn't know about it before I was doing research, and uh, you you were very mean to me about the fact that I wasn't aware of this. Well, this is your wheelhouse, so I thought, like, of course you'd know this. I wasn't a Digimon kid! Like, I've, I've still, I've yet to see a single Digimon anything except for one episode of the famously terrible Finnish dub of of uh, the original Digimon series. Okay. So, so when I was hopping around uh, the internets, and then what popped in up into, uh, into like, the Google search bar, whatever, uh, was Angela Anaconda, Angelamon. So I clicked it, and there was a, there was, it was on the official Digimon wiki as Angelamon. I was like, that, that doesn't sound right. This has to be a joke, right? And then it wasn't. (laughs) It wasn't a joke, Christopher. So a a bit of a background. uh, In the 2000s, there was a big anime television boon in, in America. And part of that was, uh, companies just licensing anything they could get their grubby hands on to expose it to impressionable Western kids. One company was 20th Century Fox, who licensed a couple of Digimon movies, uh, the, uh, the shorts that played in theaters, stitched them th- together, added some narration, added a highly 90s, 2000 soundtrack, and released it into theaters. It became a staple of many anime like burgeoning anime fans childhoods even though it's barely a movie because it's you can see the stitches on every single connection they make between these completely different series but the thing that we are here to talk about is to i don't know drive up attendance to make it more appealing to western audiences they commissioned a angela anaconda short to go in front of digimon the movie and it's it's absolutely beautiful because like there's this vibe of like late nineties early two thousands uh, TV producers who have never seen an anime since the eighties no. trying to talk about what anime is and this just hits all of the points like it is violently apparent that no one working on this short has ever seen anything Digimon like even I haven't seen anything Digimon and I knew for, like in an instant this isn't Digimon um this is not D- Digimon Digital Monsters Digimon are the champions and it's instead like this mashup of Voltron which itself is a mashup of two different anime which is just beautiful to me um Power Rangers, so like a lot of the uh, Sentai shows, and like a little bit of Speed Racer. Yeah. uh... It's just that perfect marriage of this is the 2000s and what is anime? Is it a Dragon Ball? I I think this uh, short that appeared in front of Digimon the movie is probably what Angela Anaconda is best known for. Because this has taken on a life of its own beyond... uh, beyond uh, the the show itself the series itself because this is a artifact to trying to understand this huge boom of popularity of anime and how quickly that was misunderstood and why so much of that era in terms of dubbing in terms of translation in terms of bringing things over like it, it like it's a very kind of spotty history 
And you can all place that on the shoulders of Angelamon. Like you look at this and realize like, wow, they really had no idea what they were doing. They had no respect for these, uh, these series, these shows, these movies that they were bringing over. They just Absolutely. wanted money. Like, and Angela was some, Angela Anaconda was somehow the path to that money in their yeah. mind. Yeah, it's it's so clear that no one in the early 2000s knew why kids were enjoying anime. Like, they had absolutely no clue what the draw was, and they didn't really care. They just knew that kids are enjoying this thing, so we are going to use it as much as we can. Like, th- that, it's, it speaks in the movie itself, because the movie is, like, four, I think, short films. Uh, no, three short films, uh edited together to make a movie because 20th Century Fox like, man, these kids love this Digimon shit. We need a movie. Like we did, there was never a movie made. Okay. What do you got? We'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with something. We'll, we'll Frankenstein a movie together and then we'll put bare naked ladies on the soundtrack and everyone Hell will love fucking, it. Yeah, they will. Honestly, if you look up, okay. So this is, this is also important to this. If you look up Digimon, the movie, uh, Angela Anaconda short is literally the top of the Wikipedia page. Yes. Like that is yes, that is. is way more important than anything else that happens in this movie is by the way it opens with an Angela Anaconda short. <laughs> you we have to cuz you have to acknowledge that you have to talk about it cuz that's just so fucking weird but at the same time indicative of how anime was taken to the west and how it was introduced to the west in the in this era. <laughs> I just I'm looking at the same page you are it's like plot 1.1 Angela Anaconda short. 1.2, eight years ago, four years later, present day. It's like, no, th- this thing right at the top. We can't ignore this. We have to acknowledge it. Otherwise, it, it this will none of this will make sense um, moving forward. Also very important, unrelated to Angela Anaconda, um, Digimon the movie is the first use of All-Star by Smash Mouth. Like this predates Shrek. Okay, no, that, that can't be right. No, no, because... Uh, uh, what was the there's a superhero film in like 99 that was actually the first use of all-star and it had a it had a music video where like uh ben stiller and william h macy from this movie were like in the music video and i i think what just happened is when it was used in the more popular shrek the internet just completely erased everything it's like no that that is the shrek song now but no you're wrong it's the digimon song and apparently even that's wrong this is such a good soundtrack (laughs) I completely disagree <laughs> with you. I, I fucking hate like, and I know I'm completely alone. But man, this is this represents like some of the worst of this. Uh, era's are music. you saying that there's a problem with ska punk? Not, How not necessarily. Uh, but what they chose to represent it, like, yes. You have a problem with the Rockefeller skank? No, that is the one standout from this from this album that I do not, I have no problems with because that's a great track. But everything else, like fucking One Week by Bare Naked Ladies, uh, Kids in America as performed by Len, All My Best Friends Are Metalheads by Less Than Jake, like good lord. One Week is a banger, and I will die on this hill. You, you <laughs> can die on that hill because I, I will be safely on a different hill defending my own <laughs> weird taste. It's it's definitely not my favorite Bare Naked Ladies song. 
Um, but I think it that's definitely a different form of nostalgia where it's like, no, I worked so hard to be able to do, to be able to sing this song. It, it that, that cannot have been a waste of time. Oh, it, it absolutely nope. can. <laughs> Same logic. You can, you can say whatever yourself, yeah. but that sounds like a waste nope. of time. To nope, I, I know the words, so. So there's one more thing we need to talk about in terms of Angela Anaconda and the Digimon movie. Are you talking movie. about the greatest 4chan post of all time? I am talking about the greatest 4chan post of all time. Uh, if you would like, I can do a dramatic reading of it. Okay. Uh, so, he, to set it up a bit, uh, this was posted on 4chan, uh, probably in their anime board. Uh, Angela Anaconda Digivol to Angelamon. And the first post that started off this incredible story that we all desperately hope to be true is this short caused my parents divorce didn't know at the time that parents relationship was rocky i beg to go see digimon movie parents agree but i don't realize it's for them to spend some time together as well get to theater and excited about digimon flick can even afford popcorn and drinks parents look happy angela anaconda short comes on my parents also don't speak very good english my little boy mind can't comprehend all the fuck going on Parents are utterly confused by this Canadian fuck running around in a Digimon suit. I start crying, and they pull me out of the theater. Mom and Dad start blaming each other for going to the wrong film. Dad throws away the popcorn Mom wanted. Lots of arguing, and I'm still crying. Get out to parking lot and drive off in a rush. Get into an accident in parking lot. Dad moves out a month later. Fucking bitch of a whore Angela Anaconda ruined my life. <laughs> Oh, fuck. That is the legacy of Angela Anaconda. Oh, fuck you, Noah Bomback. This is a marriage story. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. Like, it's it's not. I, I hope it's true in the same way that I desperately hope it's not true. Do you think Sue Rose and Joanna Farone have read this? And do you think they realize, like, oh, man, we broke up a family. I'm sure. I don't know how chronically online either of them are um but if either of them are then yes they absolutely have <laughs> so fucking great i really want that to be real i i want that to be true because man there that's a tangible yeah. legacy like this show has actively ruined at least three lives like you 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 can like you can slave your life away at uh, at something like Calif the California Arts Institute and pitch your show to Cartoon Network and have a good like two to three season run create a huge fan base but you know what you you can never say you did you can never say you broke a yeah. union you can never say you ruined yeah. a child's life I man mean, that's, that is a legacy that's something to hold on to. God, I want that to be real. I, I keep saying that, but I really want that to be real. Because, like, you know, I'll, I'll put a disclaimer, like, man, I hope they reconciled. I hope that kid had a good childhood afterwards. I hope, like, he he was able to manage trauma of that. I mean, and he's clearly become... not doing okay. He's on 4chan. Point taken. <laughs> and... You know what else is nice? It's like this is a this is a green tech story that doesn't have any slurs in it, which is just refreshing. Right? Oh my god, it's like this and um that uh D and D story about the guy who uh played as a bear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
It's so good. I, I wouldn't have done a dramatic reading if there were like big slurs in it. Man, I'm, I, I, the, so the, the way we're going to name these episodes, is obviously just the, the, the show that we're talking about, like episode one pilot, Angela Anaconda, but man, I wish we could call it fucking bitch of a whore. Angela Anaconda ruined my life. Anaconda. I mean, that's a very good uh, descriptor of her. She is a fucking bitch. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not not in the way that this guy's making out, because clearly he'd never saw the show before. Absolutely not. He he was there for Digimon. Everyone was there for Digimon. What and is what is this, this Angela Anaconda? This Canadian fuck just waltzes onto the screen. And, and see, we have we have evidence here. This is like quantifiable evidence we can point to. It's like, no, see, this show was traumatizing the kids. Yeah. How traumatizing? I don't think we will ever truly know the scope of the trauma, um, but it was definitely enough that uh, when you first brought it back into my mind, it was a memory I had repressed. And so mm-hmm. then when I saw it, it was like, oh, no, why would you bring this back into my life like that? I didn't want this. Yeah, like that. that's kind of like the, uh, beyond the Digimon movie and this amazing 4chan story, like the legacy of Angela Anaconda is like, it fills up spaces on a lot of like uh, Buzzfeed article lists and things of that nature where it's like shows that you forgot existed or creepy shows from our childhood. We wish we could forget and things of like that kind of hack uh, listicle writing. Absolutely. Uh, and it's, it's why it has a reputation as being like really overhated and good. Like, despite how much we've kind of clowned on in the past hour like it's it's really a harmless except for this one kid honestly the ending of the view to a brinks where like they solve their problems by forcing nanette to look upon two naked adults like is really really awful the whole premise of that episode is like we want to commit voyeurism why can't we commit voyeurism right now yeah it's like it's charming right up until they succeed and are traumatized by it Ugh, good lord. So I, I had a cursed thought that I kind of want to, like, end the episode on. Please. Um, imagine, if you will, we were to reboot Angela Anaconda. No, 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 no. No, 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 stop, stop. I'm not done. But not in, but to appeal to the people who watched it in, the like, 99. So do you, do you know the... Did you uh, follow that CW Powerpuff Girls reboot that they're doing? Vaguely, yes. Well, they uh, uh, it's written by Diablo Cody, and some of the script was leaked, and so it's it's them like talking about like revenge porn and going to clubs and doing drugs and really, it's a really kind of try hard updating of it to be more edgy and appeal to a cool millennial fan base okay i see where you're going with this and that's what i'm saying it's like we can do that with angela anaconda angela anaconda school shooter confirmed no no that would never make it to air i i'm thinking like you're a coward not if you're a coward but like i'm thinking like angela anaconda is like a like a 31 year old burnout who is terminally online uh, uh let's see Gina who else Lash uh, is like an absolute lefty icon she's an organizer uh yeah. who's trying to over overturn capitalism yeah uh nanette is a complete girl boss yeah. um who did marry uh johnny abadi 
We didn't talk about like, Johnny. Like his whole character is that he's an idiot. Yeah. He's definitely in with the mob somehow though. Yeah, because his his uncle is very clearly coded as like being connected. Yeah. His whole thing is that he's like that one Italian kid in your class. And I can say that because I grew up in a largely Italian uh, environment where everyone's families were connected to the mob somehow. Nice. Or at least they wanted you to believe that. Yeah. Oh. I, I think there's a line where it's like uh, when they're trying to build their uh, basket thing for the View to a Brinks episode, it's like Johnny just kind of casually drops like, yeah, my Uncle Nicky has a bunch of rope in his trunk. Yep. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, what the fuck? Okay. Yeah, his Uncle Nicky is absolutely in charge. He's like, he's a hitman for the mob. And like that rope is used to throw people in uh, into the lake. But I, I would imagine like, yes, he's a he's connected to a degree but he's also like completely roided out he's a a big dumb tough guy who else does like cage fighting i'm making this up as i go along yeah no i like i like this au uh gordy's dead yes yeah uh gordy gordy died in uh a freak accident when they were in middle school and by accident i mean angela took his uh um inhaler uh as a bit (laughs) <laughs> because she wanted to like i don't know tear out nanette Menoir's eye with it or something and gordy had an asthma attack and just fucking died exactly and I, I guess the premise of the show would be uh angela the burnout the possibly completely uh waste of uh her late 20s into her 30s uh takes a job at Nanette's firm or whatever she does and from there hijinks ensue that are really not only mean-spirited but really just fucking heinous and the whole point of the show is like yeah she is a really bad person that's why we want to watch oh yeah she 100 percent kills nanette's dog at some point mm-hmm. I, th- I i think we have a solid pitch to hbo max uh copyright canada uh, can- uh cartoon night in canada uh mind your business do not take this <laughs> this is my oc do not steal I, I I know we don't actually own the show and like it's Suros and Joanna Perone, but you know what? Hey, this is our idea. Don't take it. If we see anything like get this, get at we, us, Sue. We, we, like yeah, we we could work with you. Uh, we could absolutely yep. bang this out uh, and be extremely successful and introduce your creation to a new generation of cynical millennials or probably Zoomers at this point. I think that's an episode, and we'll see where this endeavor takes us. Uh, maybe we'll find a cartoon that. Neither of us want to talk about not, or revisit that will just call this whole thing you off. You cannot break me. Okay. <laughs> that is that is my uh, my threat to all Canadian animation. Try me, bitch. Yes, and moving forward, uh, we will be tried. We will be tried, listener. So thank you for listening. Uh, please uh, rate us highly on your podcatcher of choice, uh, preferably iTunes. Uh, Apple Podcasts is where we can pro- possibly get the most engagement. You can follow me on, twi- on Twitter at, at CinemaCreep. Do you want to plug yours? Sure. I'm uh, I'm here at Blue Paddlin. That's Paladin, but with the L and the D switched around because, spoilers, I was tragically in the Voltron fandom at one point. We won't have to get into that. You, you don't have to admit that on the mic. <laughs> it's too late. It's done. All right. Uh, thanks for listening and uh, catch you next week. Bye-bye.